This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Franklin Templeton. Good morning, you're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Sim Weebun. The past two years have seen a period of disruption and opportunities. The COVID-19 pandemic became a trigger which contributed to a variety of issues that impacted the global economy. From government spending an unprecedented amount of money on stimulus packages to supply chain crises, labour shortage, super low interest rates, and many more, the impact was felt almost everywhere. And now, while the world is slowly learning to live with the virus and the economy is gradually improving, we're faced with rising geopolitical tensions in Europe as Russia invaded Ukraine last week. So how does one navigate these waters? How do these global trends affect your investments? And what are the sectors to watch out for this year? Joining me to discuss this is Subhash Pillai, the Regional Head of Client Investment Solutions for the Asia-Pacific region at Franklin Templeton. Good morning, Subhash. Thank you and welcome to the show. Good morning and thanks for having me on. Okay, so let's start with kind of an overall question, which is the key investment themes this year. What are the key investment themes that you'll be looking at or uh, Franklin Templeton has in mind this year? Thanks. Um, so, so for us, there are really kind of three underlying uh, themes that are that are taking up a lot of our thinking as we kind of approach the year and our investing. So we're in this environment where we have slowing, but still quite strong growth. And, you know, we anticipate continued above trend growth. But as I said, that that pace is actually decelerating. And it's uneven driven by Omicron. It's probably going to be a bit more uneven driven by policy tightening. So that's kind of the first theme. The second, um, you know, really important change that that became more and more important over 2021 and continues to consume our thinking is we have high inflation. And yes, it is expected to ease, but it's been expected to ease for quite a while and there are still risks around inflation. And how markets navigate this is going to be critical this year. And then thirdly, after this very strong policy environment, policy support environment that we saw as a result of the pandemic, we're now starting to see policy tightening really be a focus of developed market central banks. And that's going to be a real feature of this year, which is rising interest rates across many nations. Right. So inflation, how will the Russia-Ukraine conflict then impact inflation and interest rates? What should investors look out for? So I think you know, we obviously have a situation that is unfolding hour after hour, hour by hour in the Ukraine. Um, and so trying to predict where that goes is going to be extremely hard. But what we can do is we can understand and think about the risks. And so for policymakers like Powell, Right. He currently has a market that is priced for about 160, 180 basis points of rate hikes this year. So the question is, if we have a situation where um, where the geopolitics you know, spills over into, into markets, spills over into the real economy, then that's likely going to temper the extent of tightening that's delivered. So there's, of course, a, you know, a large degree of debate as to whether or not it's a 50 basis point adjustment that they start with or a 25 basis point adjustment. The the current situation probably leans us more towards a 25 basis point adjustment. But what is clear is that it's really quite unlikely that the direction of travel is going to be reversed as a consequence of, of, of what we're seeing in the Ukraine, for example. 
Okay, so outside of that, how else do you think what's happening in Ukraine might affect the markets? What and what are the kind of uh, um, reverberations that we'll see from this uh, conflict? So naturally, you know, this uncertainty will drive um, into risky assets. So you've seen some weakness in equities. You've seen credit spreads widen a little bit. You've seen uh, safe haven currencies perform a little bit better. Of course, there'll be a very material impact on. The oil price, and you've seen certainly, you know, the commodities complex um, uh, respond to that. So, you know, I see those as kind of the initial reactions. If this is more of a prolonged uh, disruption, then you will see inflation impacted through, firstly, the energy prices that will probably stay elevated. There is there is quite a bit that um, you know the rest of the world can do to offset the rise in in energy costs that will come from uh, a serious conflict situation, but that may take time. So you're going to see inflation basically stay a little bit higher. There's also going to be disruptions that will come through um, the agricultural sector, especially if the ability to the free flow of goods and you know the free flow of product is is impaired. So you will have this slight um, you know this additional inflationary impulse. How long do you think it'll take for inflation to normalize? The, the focus has been fairly and squarely on the US where inflation is very definitely quite substantially above kind of target levels. But that's actually the most extreme case in, in terms of the situation in the US. Like if you look at the UK, yeah, it's about 2% above targets. But then once you move to the euro area, Australia, it's actually not that massively above target. In fact, if you look at Australia, the core inflation measure that the Reserve Bank of Australia look at has really only returned to the middle of their comfort band of 2 to 3%, and that's after undershooting for seven years. So the way in which different central banks will respond to this inflationary threat is, 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 is likely to not be the same. So there are going to be some countries which can normalise monetary policy at a far slower pace, potentially. If you look at China, inflation is actually at the moment below the central bank target. And when we think about you know, Asia, yes, we have seen rising inflation, but we haven't seen the same extent of rise that, you, that, you, that you're seeing in, in, in the US. So like if you look at Malaysia, for example, you know, yes, the CPI has picked up to around 2.5%, but most expectations see it at around that level in the next coming year or so. Now, the pace of that moderation is going to be impacted by a number of things, right? So, for example, you, you know, you get the situation where, where energy prices stay elevated, that's going to slow that pace down. But then you also get the situation where uh, as Omicron recedes in, uh, in, in various nations, right, um, you're going to have uh, a move away from kind of goods-heavy demand towards more services-heavy demand, which may also... Um, spread things out. You're going to have the return of um, mobility in terms of employment, which will help moderate wage increases that we're seeing in certain countries. So the situation is quite complex, and there are a number of different impacts. Right. So the the pro, you know the progress with the virus will be very important. It's not just you know how long is the conflict in the in the Ukraine. Okay, so with that considered, what are the appropriate investment strategies to consider then? Yeah, so for us, kind of returning to our themes, right? This is a strong environment for growth. You know, we still think that the world economy will, you know, have something with a four handle in terms of overall 
growth in, in 2022. That's about 1% higher than kind of the 2015, 2019 pace of around three and a quarter percent. So that's a really healthy growth level that we, that we, you know, we see that being consistent with continued performance by companies in terms of earnings growth. Um, we've got a very well, um, you know, we've got a cashed up consumer. Um, we've got still, you know, corporates out there with the ability to borrow and the ability to borrow at relatively good prices. Credit availability is definitely there. So this for us is an environment where, you know, we're going to see continued good double digit earnings growth out of companies. And so we want to be playing this from a position of having, um, you know, a proclivity to be overweight equities. But we're also in a volatile environment. This volatility is coming from the geopolitical side. It's coming from the, you know, ongoing um, st starts and stops in terms of reopening. Um, so we do need to be quite tactical in our in our asset allocation. We've been as a at Franklin Templeton Investment Solutions, we've been basically overweight equities for around 18 months, but we are varying that. And even this year, we actually reduced our overweight. And then with markets kind of kind of pulling back a little bit, we have actually returned that overweight. So, you know, main story, preference to be overweight equities, but we want to be tactical about it. Why aren't we, I suppose, um, that positive about about fixed income. We see quite a bit of um, rate hikes priced into major economy yield curves, but we still think that longer term bonds or 10 year type bonds have a little bit more to rise to reflect, um, to reflect you know, the, the kind of conditions that we see in the economy. So if you look at the US, you know, we can see the US 10 year, which is currently a little under 2%, heading to 225 and above. So that leaves us being a little bit cautious on fixed income. That that expectation for rates to continue to rise impacts on some of the safest spread sectors as well, like investment grade credit, where we're underway. All right. And we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Ring it and sense is brought to you by Franklin Templeton. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Weeboon. And today's topic is how the global trends will affect your investments and where to look at. Joining me to discuss this is Subash Pillai, the Regional Head of Client Investment Solutions for the Asia-Pacific region at Franklin Templeton. Subash, earlier you mentioned your strategies for equities and fixed income. Can you break it down by region? That Which region do you, do you favour? Yeah, so a long-held view that we've had is a preference for developed markets and a preference specifically for the US and Japan. This is something that certainly worked. The US, um, you know, the US equity markets performed extremely strongly over the last 18 months. And what was driven, you know, what was kind of driving that view was just the pace of recovery that you were seeing out of the US, um, the extent of fiscal stimulus the health of consumer balance sheets, as well as, as well as you know, the, the exposures that you get within the US, the substantial technology exposure. Now, this is to, you know, we continue to hold an overweight to, to the US, but we see this as a declining conviction position. It's played out very well. Um, and we're really starting to think more about when we might want to be more optimistic, some of the countries that we've actually been underweight. I will come to that in a sec, but um, just 
briefly on Japan, Japan is also um, an overweight for us. And what we like about Japan is you've got really good momentum in terms of the catch-up in its vaccination program. You've got political risks that have eased very, very substantially as they've transitioned uh, to a new prime minister in Suga. And it's actually a global equity market, which is quite cheap on a valuation perspective. You know, if we look particularly at price to book, it's extremely attractive relative to other markets. Where we have been underweight um, is actually China and the rest of the emerging market complex. So for us, just with regards to China, China had this recovery in 2020. But then in 2021, they were actually able to start to tighten monetary policy and the rest of the world was catching up. That drove a view to kind of be a little bit more cautious around China. And then with, of course, trade disputes and so forth and the geopolitical stresses um, and the regulatory challenges that we saw, um, you know, this was a position that we held over the course of 2021. As we're entering 2022, we're starting to become more positive for China. And so a big question for us when we're getting together as investors and debating how we want to be positioning is there's now value emerging in China. And we're also seeing that that um, monetary policy and policy making in general is becoming more stimulatory. So, so for us, we're looking at opportunities to become more positive on China. But, you know, I should say we're, we're still underweight. What are we looking for? We want to see momentum in the in the policy shift. We also want to see how um, markets digest the the geopolitical challenges and also the start of the of the rate hiking cycle in the U.S. And what about your views on fixed income then? So fixed income, as we talked about a little uh, a little bit earlier, we have this situation where there's a lot of interest rate hikes priced into markets. Um, and that is impacting really the front end of um, of the yield curve. At the same time, we're also seeing back-end yields rise quite a bit, but not to levels that we consider to be more attractive. So it's like we we look at the front end where we see you know so much rate hikes priced in, and we we think, yes, you'll get some of them, but you probably won't get all of them. So if you look at a country like the US, I think it's about 165 basis points of rate hikes in the next year. Yeah, we think you'll probably see about six hikes. So, but but what we what we probably disagree with is that terminal rate implied into markets, right? And for us, seeing um, you know the U.S. 10-year move to two 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 and a quarter, two and a half, so still a solid 25, 50 basis points higher. That's probably going to be where we think you know is is a fair level to be accumulating um, bond exposure. We look across other countries um, and, you know, we can continue to see, we believe you'll continue to see rate hikes across, you know, you'll, you'll see them in Europe, you'll see them in the UK. Um, you'll probably see countries like Australia join, but probably not to the same extent as is factored in in markets. They're expecting around six rate hikes in Australia. We, we probably think that the RBA will deliver a little bit less. Um, and so this, this environment of government yields rising and rate hikes is obviously going to be a big headwind for um, fixed income. That's likely to impact on the spread sectors like investment grade credit, where what impacts your investment is more 
duration than the, the more minor movements that you'll have in spreads. Where we're a little bit more optimistic is actually in high yield. So you've seen high yield spreads move up a little bit um, with the more recent volatility. And we think even though spreads may move a little bit wider, it's not going to erode the carry that you get um, buying those securities which have a meaningful proportion of their return driven by that credit spread. And our outlook for companies and our outlook for defaults is quite benign. So that gives us you know, some conviction being overweight high yield. So, and finally, what is your outlook for growth this year then? What should investors be looking at? Yeah, so we look at equities and we think that equities can deliver this year uh, a single digit you know, high single digit return. Uh, you know, it's closer to double digits for the US and Japan. It's low single digits at the moment for the emerging markets. So we see opportunities there. And more importantly, we see that volatility that we expect will give us opportunities to, to position, to take advantage of uh, more favorable pricing at different points in, the, in different points of the year. Um, within fixed income, we really do see quite muted returns. So, you know, returns that are pretty well at zero for for interest rate products with duration, and um, you know, low single digit returns for for um, kind of high yield economic growth. Um, you know, you're going to see really really strong growth. So, uh, if you look at the developed markets, you should see the U.S growth well in excess of, of trend levels for the US and for Europe uh, and for the developed world in general. Growth is likely to be at or slightly below trend uh, in China. I think just turning turning our attention to you know our, our local region, you know, I think the opportunities for continued rebound in Singapore and Malaysia uh, are pretty strong. And you know, you should see growth of three, four percent in those countries as well. While the expectation is for a pretty decent environment for growth, we also know there are some key uncertainties, right? We are going to have to navigate the Federal Reserve hiking rates. That's always a challenge of some kind for the rest of the world, right? That's problem number one. We're still emerging from Omicron. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with this virus, but what we do know is that you do have these 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 fits and starts in terms of economic activity rebounding, then being curtailed again, mobility restrictions and so forth. And it is entirely possible, although I hope not, that we face another challenging strain, um, another vaccine resistance, et cetera, et cetera. So there are definitely risks still posed by the virus. And then, of course, you know, to, to my mind, it's it's going to be kind of um, you know when you when you think about the different countries, their approach to how they manage the virus. So you know, if you continue to see um, kind of suppression policies, that can have for those countries and for trade um, a, a more negative impact if, if COVID continues to be a meaningful challenge. Um, and then finally, I would say that um, it's also a challenge for many governments to have to kind of pull back on their support, right? To either re remove, um, you know, um, stimulus programs, uh, remove support to different sectors of the economy, and also start to start to normalize their finances. You know, 
um, start to potentially increase taxes and so forth. So it's not it's by no means an easy, uncomplicated environment we have, but we are still recovering and we still have um, you know an outlook that says that this is going to be a strong year for growth. All right, and that's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Subhash Pillai, the Regional Head of Client Investment Solutions for the Asia-Pacific region at Franklin Templeton. Join us again next week for more discussion on personal finance and investing. We've got the 10am news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, PFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Franklin Templeton. Say hello to progress and to a better financial future at franklintempleton.com.my slash helloprogress. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.